My name is Mark. I'm the physician who found and created Physician Pre-Sentence Report Service. And I am, today we're going to discuss, as I set this up, let me share. And we're almost there. There we go. Okay. And today we're going to discuss that potentially you could be, or you're sensing that you're the target of an FBI um, investigation. You're hearing whispers. And there's really no way to dress this up, per se. And so if the rumors and whispers that people are that the FBI is poking around personally I would tell you to take it seriously hello and welcome and again my name is Mark Blatstein I'm the physician and founder of physician pre-sentence report service approximately th after 30 years in practice I had heard the same whispers and I had patients come in and I didn't believe them. And one morning I was interrupted early in the morning by a knock on my front door and the feds were there. And then later in the morning, they interrupted my patient staff all for a problem that I created. And I pled guilty to a felony and I became uh, one of the many of a new term that is called justice impacted persons but I pled, pled guilty to a federal white collar crime. And <clears throat> after release and several years of hard work, my medical license was restored in full. And it was around that time that I chose to use my skills in med medicine, along with my understanding of how the Federal Bureau of Prisons operated to work with those of you and assist you, those of you who, like me, found yourselves facing the criminal justice system here in the United States. And while I feel that I personally was unprepared, I made it my mission so that I could provide, create and provide resources that you will need so that those of you will be prepared. Because entering the BOP or the Federal Bureau of Prisons as in life, preparation is survival. And so know that going to prison is very unsettling, but it's also temporary. And so that's going to be one of my driving personal messages to you. It's a temporary, unfortunate interruption in your life. And there will be, I don't know that some it'll be some good that'll come out of it, but it's not a life, it's not a death sentence. And so with that in mind, let's get to it. And I will then now try to guide myself through these slides. And so what are going to be the options that you have? And the first option is going to be, you're going to need to start interviewing attorneys. No matter if someone tells you to wait or it's only been a whisper, you need to start interviewing attorneys. You want to start asking questions, getting references. Once you meet a couple attorneys, see if you can get clients that have cases similar to yours to call. And just nobody's going to be happy with the end result, but you want to talk to them. It'll just kind of make it'll make you easier. See if you can get the lawyer. I'm sure they have a couple clients that they have a relationship with. 
And then you want to see if you can read several of their sentencing memorandums. And those are memorandums. Their forms are documents that they submit to the court a week before sentencing. And the purpose of you wanting to read several of these memorandums, you want to get them for cases similar to yours, is because you want to see if they're different or if they all are the same. And if they all are the same, then really this is not the attorney for you. If they, if the attorney is, you know, kind of, he tells you that though there's HIPAA and there's privacy, he's right or she's right. But with either Adobe or Black Magic Marker, there's the ability to black out all of the personal information about the attorney. And so therefore they won't be, they wouldn't be passing on any of the personal information. All you want to do is see how they're written. Into the next part, your attorney has a, a boatload of experience. This experience is paramount for you at this point in time. They understand the case law, researching statutes, assessing the, the evidence. And their goal is to undermine the prosecutor, what they bring to the table. And they want to produce evidence to support your defense. These attorneys don't have all the time needed to exhaust, exhaustively research your, back, your background. And this is going to be important, which I'll go into later when we get into your narrative. At the same time, they're going to rely on you to, they need you to provide to them all the information that's 100% accurate regarding what happened. And this is paramount because to be frank or candid, I thought I gave all the information that was 100% accurate, but it's taken me a good 15, 20 years to realize, so maybe I didn't. And so it's soul searching to make sure that right away, you, you don't need enablers around you, but you need to make sure that you give him, give him or her all the information 100% truthful. Because once you're in court, if he's working or your attorney's working with not 100% accurate information, and they get surprised by the prosecutor, they may be embarrassed, but you're the only one that gets hurt. So the next step is you and your attorney needs to be acting at, working as a team. And so while he, while your attorney knows all of the legal components, because this is what they've done, there also needs to be a sentence mitigation strategy. And this involves your personal narrative, which is your story from basically, <coughs> excuse me, your childhood till today and what, what, how you got to the point of breaking the law, breaking the law, your allocution which is your conversation you're going to have with the judge. And then you're going to need, you're going to be your own best advocate. And in doing so, there is first step back programming, there's second chance act, there's compassionate release, which is difficult to get. There's an administrative remedy process that we're going to go through uh, together, which is kind of how you advocate for yourself while you're in prison. 
And so there's a lot of this stuff that we will go through together. And so all of this is in preparation for the next phase. And so now we're going to get into the next slide, but you need to make sure that you're comfortable with it. You're this attorney, because ultimately this is your future and there are no redos. Once, you buy, once you're through with this attorney and send, sentencing, it's going to be very hard and very expensive to attempt to have a redo. And I don't know that there are, that this is, that this is it. I don't know that it's possible. So now we get into preparation. And this is you and your attorney working together. And you guys, it has to be a joint project. And with that in mind, you're now getting ready for the pre-sentence interview. And part of the pre-sentence interview that you have to be honest and you're, excuse me, I'm jumping ahead of myself. The first thing you guys are going to be deciding is you're going to go to plea or trial. If you go to trial, one of the first things that you and your attorney are going to have to decide is one, What can, I guess you want to ask the attorney, the attorney what percentage or how many cases has he won in federal court? He or she won in federal court because the feds have a 98% conviction rate. And then, or do you plead? And if you decide to go to trial, then hopefully your case is strong and you've got a lot of work to do with your attorney. In the interim, if by chance you come to the realization that you know, you really are guilty. You need to communicate this quickly with your attorney because it'll save you a lot of money with your lawyer. It will save you a lot with the prosecutor because once he, once the prosecution knows that they don't have to do all the work to prepare for a court, that may reduce the amount of your sentence, it may not be as severe. And so you now go to where you're going to go to sentence, you go into the court where you plead guilty. And your next benchmark is going to be your pre-sentence interview, which is 90 days away, more or less. And the pre-sentence interview is conducted by the probation officer, which is an officer of the court. And in order to do this, there's a lot of information that has to be gotten together. And there's different jobs that everybody has to do, meaning you and your attorney. So let's start. You need to get a lot of information for your lawyer. You need to get, depending on how old you are and your medical condition, you need to get copies of all your medical records, everything copies of surgery reports, office reports, copies of pathology reports, copies of all x-rays, all CT scans, all MRIs, all ultrasounds, their reports. You also want them all on, C and you, they come on CDs nowadays or on a flash drive. You wanna get all of that. You wanna get copies of all your blood tests. You wanna get prescriptions, you want your original prescriptions. You want prescriptions for all your medical devices. 
If you're taking medications, all the medications that are the Federal Bureau of Prisons has are online. If you're not able to figure it out, I have a list of all of them here, but you can engage me and that would be my pleasure. If the medications are available, they could they carry mostly or all generic. They if they they're either available in that format or they are called non-formula. If your if your doctor and your attorney figures out that they're non-formulary, your your physician needs to write a specific letter to that amount saying that you have to have them to provide for a current treatment plan and current continuity of care. Otherwise, it would affect your health medically and however else your physician chooses to write it. And that needs to be medically certified and however else your attorney needs to have that letter written. If he needs to have a video done of the, of the physician, then so be it. If the medication is not available, and in my estimation, then the attorney needs to go or be available to go to court, but also needs to have written testimony ahead of time as to how it will adversely affect your health. If there are mental health records, if you've never been to the doctor or you need a mental health evaluation, all of this should be done now. You should also have copies of your highest educational level achieved. If you're a physician or an attorney or a PhD and you don't get that, they're going to, the BOP is going to think you're an idiot. They're going to make you take your GED exam. So you need to have copies of everything. If you've been in the military, you're going to have to have copies of what branch you're in, your discharge, your, any certificates that you've had, copies of your passport, driver's license, social security card, copies of everything. You're going to get letters of character reference letters, not letters, people saying that you're a good person or that you shouldn't go to jail. It should be letters for people that know you for a long time, that understand, that know that you have, that you are facing a illegal charge, that understand that you've accepted responsibility, and also know that they've known you when you've done good deeds, that you volunteer, that you've helped them, you know, in bad times, they, that they've, that this is contrary to the personality that they've known all these years, that, that this is not the person that they know. These are the character reference letters. If you have letters from people that you, where you've worked or they're willing to hire you when you come out of prison, that's a big letter to have. You want that. You don't want a million letters. You know, six, seven, eight is fine. <clears throat> your attorney. At the same time, your attorney is going to be reaching out to the probation officer and they're going to want to connect with the probation officer to find out who it is. And they want to find out from them because these the officers are, you know, overworked. They don't have extra time. They want to learn when the interview is going to take place. They want to know when the final dictation deadline is for them to turn in the official pre-sentence report. They want to know what forms they're going to, what documents they're going to need when they arrive. And so they're going to get at the same time, they want to find out intuitively if they've already spoken with the prosecutor and if if they have or have not will give your your attorney the ability to know if they're able to present their defense strategy at that particular time 
and then follow up with a letter in a formal uh, in a formal manner to be able to present their case to the probation officer setting up the meeting ahead of time. As you're getting the information together for your uh, for the attorney, there's a program called RDAP. It's a drug program that allows you to get a year off your sentence. You have to have within a year prior to your arrest um, abused either alcohol, over-the-counter medication, prescription medication, or illegal drugs. Any one of them. It doesn't, it doesn't, it won't. How do I put this? You want to put, you want to include it. Because if the judge gives you a sentence that is more than your attorney anticipates, and no attorney can guarantee, I left this out, no attorney can guarantee or promise any outcome. No consultant can guarantee or promise any outcome. It's just not possible. And it's not a promise that they can keep. And so you want to keep this <clears throat> as something, it has to be in your pre-sentence pre-sentence interview for your pre-sentence report. And if this is applicable and you've been abusing, you know, any of those particular products within a year prior to your offense, then include it now. For me, when it happened to me for the year and a half before, I was probably drinking a bottle of wine a day. I mean, one bottle of wine, three tall glasses, three tall water glasses, because it was making me crazy. And so... All this needs to be able to be gotten together. Now, a more work for you is going to be, you need to begin to work what's called your personal narrative. Your personal narrative is going to take a long time. It's going to be your story written first person. And it can take, it's going to be several thousand words. It could be as many pages as it is. And it'll be rewritten several dozen times. And just start when you're a child, discuss what, it was, what you, you know, what your upbringing was like all the way through elementary school, what was like in the family, brothers, sisters, parents, did everybody get along, what you do, where'd you go to school, what kind of work did you do, did you go to high school, did you work during high school, did you go to college, work during college, did you, what kind of work did your parents do, what did you do after college, what did you do? You know, what have you done since then? Married kids? What kind of work did you do? What precipitated the event that you're in today? And then this needs to be gone over several dozen times, not with a family member, but with someone else who knows how to write and rewrite this. And the goal is as you write and rewrite this is to express your remorse. It ultimately, when this gets distilled, it's going to be a true story about you where you've expressed your remorse and you where you've understood the victim's pain and how it impacted them. You need to have agreed with the court as to the seriousness of the crime without minimizing it. What in your life brought you to this particular moment? What happened to cause you to do this? What has this experience taught you and what have you learned? Did it bring up moments from your past? That's why it starts when, you know, when you were a child. Explain to the judge only if you have a plan what you intend to do to try and make the victims whole. Or if you have a, or if you've already started this plan, no matter how small, what have you done? 
show a thoughtful, actionable plans to emote successfully from prison. We're going to do that later on in this video. It's a re-entry plan, but just to let you know that that's coming. And you want to help, help the judge empathize. And the first person who's going to read this understands it's going to be the probation officer. And so the probation officer, this is going to start off as a conversation with them. They need to empathize with you as a person, not as a felon. And you want to, you know, what have you learned? And why are you asking for leniency? You may not. You may tell the judge you feel you deserve the punishment. <clears throat> and then, you know, why you'll never be back in this courtroom again. I told the, <laughs> this is not good, but I told my, I told my judge, I never want to be back here again. And then my, and the judge said, good, because I never want to see you. Unfortunately, then I never, I, with my attorney, we asked if I could appeal, not the sentence, but the indictment. It never dawned on me what would happen if I did. And so that is the narrative. It sounds simple. It's going to, it could be very painful, but introspective. And by the time you're done, 90 days, it could be three months, it could be six months. If, you know, if you're Sam Bankman, it could be a year later, it's going to take him every inch of it if he ever gets around to it. And so into the next part, as we move into the next slide, beyond the narrative, we're into now self-advocacy, which you're going to be your own best advocate. And this is important because you need to rely on the skills that made you successful today these are the skills that are going to make need to have you be self-motivated through this process. And so you and your you speaking with your attorney, because you you've made it a team approach, because you've encouraged your attorney to be able to speak with the probation officer to get the narrative into the pre-sentence report. And reentry planning, we will go into. And we will go through sentence mitigation. We're going to go into the next slide. So as I said, it's a oh, back. Okay. This should be hopefully set number five. Okay. So now working with your attorney, it's a joint project. And I need to see that I'm on the right slide, I think. So compassionate release, there are certain things that will be able to get you out of jail early. Compassionate release may or may not. That's a more difficult one. But everyone wants COVID to be over. It's not. I mean, this new variant that's here is pretty contagious. Most people who are getting the flu are not getting tested. They don't know if they have COVID or not. And so if you have an immune deficiency disease, hopefully it's documented. If you're a trans, trans organ transplant, hopefully it's documented. If you have other medical issues, 
it's documented and you have documented physician testimony, you may qualify for compassionate release. And if you do, and depending on your sentence, you may be able to self-advocate if you do everything else that I won't go into, be able to go into in this YouTube, but somewhere after 30% of your sentence, you may be able to begin to self-advocate for yourself. But going forward, your attorney will know all of the First Step Act programs that are available or that may be available for you because there are public safety factors that the probation officer will be scoring management variables, variables that the probation officer will know about. So too, will should your attorney and out of the first time back programs, this is just an example. If you have autism, if you're borderline personality disorder, there's only two two prisons in the country that have that. Another one, I mean, these are unusual, but I'm trying to get the point across that you, you need to be aware because there are other programs that are like this. Um, anger management, there's some that, you know, these could be a program where when you look for a BOP plate for a place in prison placement, you know, it could matter. Anger management, you know, is another one. There, are, This has more options for you. Your personal narrative needs to be understood and finished um, before the pre-sentence interview so that you understand it cold and in first person so that you're discussing it in conversationally with the probation officer, meaning that you've discussed it, you can discuss it without having to you know, look at your notes that you've written it enough times, you've rewritten it at least two dozen times. And then when you're discussing it with the probation officer, it's, you know, it's, it comes off your tongue as easily as you can say your birthday. And then your probation officer is able to understand that this is your story, your narrative. And they're able to then have confidence copy pasting it into your pre-sentence report. Plus, the probation officer uses that information and they have the judge's ear because they also pass on their recommendations for your sentence. But your pre-sentence report is complete. And I want to assume that it will include your personal narrative. That's a very big part of it because there have been articles written by judges across the country and dozens of, dozens of them have said that they are very interested to read when a defendant has a personal narrative and allocution, which I haven't brought up yet. I did not know of either of those two terms. I was unaware. And so with that in mind, fix this. 
go to the next one if I can get this to work. Okay. And so here we're going. So these are the list of judges. And so while you're seeing the judges here, and I just, you know, listed them, they, you know, commonly they all said that the allocution is you're now at the sentencing hearing. The judge has seen the pre-sentence report. So they have already decided by the time you get to the sentencing hearing, they've read the pre-sentence report. They've read your attorney's memorandum, which you've practiced before the sentencing memorandum was sent in. You and your attorney have practiced both your allocution and the sentencing memorandum so that both of you are on the same page with both of those um, documents, if you will. And so you know what the memorandum says. And the attorney, the judge is probably now thinking maybe their sentence because they pre they have a pre-planned sentence in mind. I didn't know that. I thought they didn't do the sentencing until we got there. But I've learned after the fact that they have the sentence already planned. But now they've read your personal narrative. And now they meet you for the very first time at the sentencing hearing. And all these judges, and this is just a small list. And the allocution is your conversation with the attorney, I mean, with the judge. And so while you're the judge is asking you questions, what the judge wants to know is they want to see a sincere demeanor. They want to understand what taking full responsibility means to you. They want to know that you acknowledge that there are victims. They want to know that there is, is there an acknowledgement that the allocution details how the how your conduct of criminal behavior affected the defendant of the victim rather. How you plan to use probation or prison in a productive manner. We didn't get there yet, but we're going to get there in the next slide or two. <clears throat> they want to know why you want to change your criminal behavior. Or more importantly, how you're going to humanize. How do you, how do you humanize yourself in front of the, uh, in, in front of the judge? They have all these questions and they want to see answers to them. They want to know that you've changed your behavior. What are you going to do upon release to not reoffend? And so this reentry planning is a big thing. And so we will go into that. <clears throat> Hopefully, I didn't leave it out. Let's see. And so they're interested. Here we go. They're interested in defendants, the capability of introspection, no punishment. Let's see here. They want to have a conversation with you. They want to see the defendant has insight. 
into what you've done. You're looking for remorse. We've covered all that, lawyers. It's important that the lawyer prepares you for allocution. I mean, none of this happened with me. So part of the reentry planning is that as you prepare to go into prison, you are going to, as you go in, you're going to go to the case managers. They're going to have they're going to have your pre-sentence report in front of them. And they are going to see your narrative. You then are going to go ahead and you are going to request to be able to take the Spark 13 risk assessment survey. Because that's going to allow you to start programming. And when you start programming, you're going to go ahead. And when they offer you a program to take, you're going to say thank you, no matter what it is. They can, it'll maybe teach you to knit. It may tell you to take a walk around the track. Whatever it is, you're going to say okay and thank you. And then you're going to have people send you a soft back, some sort of journal document logbook that has lot pages with lines on them that have some sort of writing inside. Not a lot, but writing that has inspirational quotes, astrology quotes. It can't be blank or the Bureau of Prisons won't let it in. And you're going to document every day when you take these classes, the, what the teacher was like. And you're going to say how good the teacher was, what you learned from that day from the session. In each session, you're going to write a little bit about what you learned and how you are going to implement those lessons when you leave. You also are going to have a book list. And the book list is a list of books that we'll go into on another YouTube, but a list of books that you are going to have sent into you that will range from life skills, psychology books, philosophy books, books on business, uh, books on science, books on history, books that will teach you something. And these will be paperback books. And for each book that you're going to read, you have two books at a time and ha have a long list spread out and then set a schedule up among family and friends so that you're not getting books at the same time and not everybody's got to pay for them all at once. And everyone has a schedule when they'll be mailed into you. And they should be sent from Amazon because the BOP is familiar with Amazon. And when you get these books, start reading them. Don't go out. People make fun of you, fine. But don't go out playing basketball 25 hours a day, running the track 25 hours a day. Get a job, do your job. Don't pay someone else to do your job. Personally, I like my own time. So I do the job a little bit in a day, maybe half hour. And then I spent my time doing my time, but I didn't know, didn't know anything about this and there was no first step back. So the case managers want to see incremental improvements. In order to see incremental improvements, you have to do something. And in this case, they don't have this laid out for you. This is why you have to be self-motivated and self-advocacy. This is where you're going to do this. And so in this book, you are going to say why you chose the author, the day and the date. And you are going to then write about each book. And you're going to write a paragraph about the chapter, 
and what you learned from the chapter and how you're going to use that information when you leave or a chapter about or a paragraph about the book or what you've learned. And you're going to do this about every book. And as these books come in, you're going to bang them out. You don't want to need to do a lot of reading. You don't want to waste your time in front of the TV or the track or, you know, the way you can go into the gym and go work out, but not all day, every day. You need to do this most of the time. And the reason is, is because as you build up more content in this journal of yours or in this logbook of yours, this is going to show every time you meet with your case manager, no one else is going to be doing this. And so this is going to be showing incremental improvement to this case manager. And all of a sudden, the bell's going to go off in their head. And they're going to be able to talk to their unit team. And they're, you know, and they're going to say, look at this person, look at this book. And so all the correction staff, they listen to the same AM radio station, WIIFN. What's in it for me? Because they still work for a paycheck and they work to get a raise and they work to get to an elevated position within the Federal Bureau of Prisons. And you make them look good. And if you continue to do this, then eventually, as other programs come up, they'll recommend you more programs. And maybe at some point, if you qualify, they may offer you compassionate release, or they may offer you second chance, or they may offer you early into the halfway house. That happens. At the same time, every time you have a meeting with your case manager or unit team, come back and date, day, date, time, and content of who you talk to, write it all down. Everything, day, date, time. My analogy for this is every time here at home or at work, every time in my company, or even when I was in practice, every email I send out, I copy myself and I save it. I can have a paper trail on everything. And you too should. Awesome. I realize that's poor English. So that is your re-entry plan. And we can discuss that more should that be of interest. So now as we're closing in, if you made a dent in the judge, now this there's nothing guaranteed that the judge may think that you're wonderful. He may love the elocution, love the narrative and not change anything. Okay. Listen, disappointment happens every day, but the narrative isn't in your pre-sentence report and the case managers still have it. Halfway houses have a limited amount of beds and they much rather have someone here who looks like you and have done the work and somebody else who just does nothing. But if the judge agrees, now maybe he's departing below the guidelines. So we're going to use an example. Lo and behold, RDAP was that you the drug information that we talked about was applicable. Now you have a year off your sentence. And they're going to put you into the, your attorney asks if you could put you into an RDAP program in a, a certain prison. And the judge agrees. Now you want a prison request. So we politely ask for one specific prison. And what I what we offer is I actually have a prison packet 
that has all of the First Step Back programs in it that are applicable to you, he can now, he places into either his sentencing memorandum or into the pre-sentence interview, or he can hand over to the, to the court right then and there so that the judge can see it and it has your information on it and it has all the, all the information that is available at that particular prison. No one's done that yet, I'm pretty confident. And he can ask the judge, as the judge agrees to make that prison placement request, he can ask the judge to say, to put into the order, if the Bureau, if the Federal Bureau of Prisons is not able to make the placement, could they notify the court in writing as to why they cannot make this placement request? Just an add-on. I hope you found this helpful. This was a whole lot longer than I wanted it to be. The three levels, preparation, self-advocacy, and re-entry planning can lead to success after release. It's, term, it's, it's a term, temporary, and I hope you found this helpful. Again, my phone number, 240-888-7778, and have a good New Year.